Hello, everybody, and welcome. You're listening to Episode 8 of SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring writers from fanfiatic.com, authors, publishing professionals, bloggers, and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and this week we take a walk down memory lane for another Fanfiatic family panel discussing the SFF we read as kids. I'm joined this episode by Fanfiatic's Tori Gross, Tom Harnett, and Eleni Ariro. We had a lot of fun delving into our pasts and exploring the sci-fi and fantasy, as well as a bit of horror, that influenced us, helped us as we grew older, and has stayed with us to this day. Hopefully this conversation will inspire you to think back on the SFF you read as a kid as well. Also, funny side note, for a panel on the SFF we read as kids, it took nearly the whole discussion to bring up Harry Potter. I guess it goes to show how the brand has soured a bit in our memories. Now, before we jump into the panel, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the amazing folks at The Broken Binding. They live to serve all of your fantasy and sci-fi needs with signed books, reprints, and the most amazing gift wrapping you could ever ask for. Make sure to visit them at thebrokenbinding.co.uk and use the promo code FANFI, F-A-N-F-I, for 5% off your next order. All right, now on to the panel. Here we go. Welcome, everybody, to another FanFi Addict family panel. And this week, we're going to be chatting with uh, Tom, Tori, and Eleni from the, from the blog about the SFF that we read as kids. Um, so starting off, we have Tori. How are you? I am good. Hey, everybody. Um, hello. <laughs> hello. Um, my book's coming out next Halloween. Woo! Well, we'll go through everybody else, and then you can tell us more about that if you want to. Okay. Uh, next up, we have Tom. Tom Harnett joining us from, from England. How are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I can't think of anything to say, but I have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I am. It's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, we have Eleni Aguero. She's joining us Hi. from Italy. And how are you? I'm good, you. I'm so happy to be here for the first time recording with everyone. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, because Tori and Tom have already been on the podcast, but Eleni's here for the first time, so. I'm finally back home where I can record. Tom and I are seasoned pros. One episode is all you need. I'm amazed amazed you invited us back, to be honest. (laughs) Seriously. No, you guys, you guys are fucking off the podcast from now. <laughs> He's had enough no. of you. Don't drag me down too, please. Get out of here. Give an you knew what this was. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, for listeners and viewers who are, are joining us for the first time, uh, we'll start with Tori. If you could give us a little introduction about yourself and talk to us about your book. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm Tori. I live in Kentucky, um, if you can't tell. By the way I speak, um, <laughs> I am actually 
a recent graduate for my master's, and my first book got published, which is coming out next Halloween. It is called Zodiac Rising, and it is through Shadow Spark Publishing, and I am so freaking excited. I've literally wanted to do this since I was a kid, and it's it's honestly a dream come true. Like I still can't believe that it's real. <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, I know we've all Thanks. said it enough, but it's really, really cool. We're Thanks. also proud of you. Thank you. It's very exciting. And uh, Tom, why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about yourself? Tom Bookbeard on Twitter, and I regularly post about books and beards uh, all over the interwebs. Uh, and, and that's really it. I'm quite boring, actually. Uh, but yes, I'm here. I'm talking. You can't even see my mouth, but but that's fine. That that's me. <laughs> humble Tom, so humble always. And Eleni, really? what about you? Tell everyone a bit about yourself. Well, I am a Greek who lives in Italy, studies in Scotland occasionally, <laughs> but <laughs> I I also just got my for, my undergrad in literature. I am taking a sabbatical for a while, and thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I am while I prep a master's in research on SFF. So I'm using the sabbatical to read as much as I can so I can like work something out so I can write something fancy, which cool. is a big excuse to read a lot, basically. It's not a bad excuse to read. Congratulations. I didn't know that. Thank you. So, yeah. Cool. And Eleni, um, since, since we're on you, uh, oh. I'm going to ask everybody to kind of Tell us about their first exposure to sci-fi or fantasy. If you have any distinct memories from your childhood, um, oh and if there was someone in your family that sort of facilitated, gave you books, or encouraged you to 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 read. Well, it's I did a post a while ago about my grandfather starting the whole domino, and then my mom is the biggest bookworm ever. So she like she would read to me from when I was younger until I could learn to read myself, and. Well, as a typical Greek, a bit cliched, but I started with my myth, with our mythology. So my first, you could say it's SFF, I suppose. <laughs> so that was my first touch. I started with our mythology and then I moved up to like the books that my mom would read me and like all the fairy tales and folk tales. And then I started like reading some from school, but never too much. Until like when I was, uh, I'm not sure about the grades, uh, nine years old, more or less. She took me to a bookstore and she said, pick one. And <laughs> my starry-eyed, tiny eyes picked this big thing. Because reasons. <laughs> and I said, I want this one. How many so pages I, is that? That's huge. This beauty is, I think, one, one nine. No, oh, no, that's too much. 1,291 pages. It's three books in one, but you know. Still, your, your mom was probably pretty excited. She's like, cool. I don't have to buy your book for a while. Yes, yeah, so this is going <laughs> to last her for ages. And it, it took exactly. me like four months. But it was my first intro to fantasy and it opened a whole world for me. So that was, that was amazing. And then from there, I just entered spooky land. But more on that later, if you want. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, um, just thinking back on like Greek mythology and everything like that for you, 
I mean, you kind of joke that it's like, you could call it SFF, you could call it fantasy, but it's kind of yeah, like institutionalized uh, fantasy and, and folk tales. But like, what is it like in, in Greece, like the perspective about Greek mythology and how it kind of plays into people's lives? Well, well, of course, I cannot speak for Greece in, in a wider sense. But, you know, from my personal experience, our myths are very very closely knit with our uh, history, and especially because this is this is a constant of literature in many cultures. To be honest, to be fair, because there is a point in history where it stops being properly recorded history and it starts being mythology and like invented stuff. But the line is very thin because to us, our mythological heroes were proper heroes, so they might have been real people they might have not but for us they were strong real historical figures that we looked up to so in one way or another it was a bit like you should see where it all started from and you grew up you know with the story of you would say achilles but you know also just in general the gods because as every myth it's a cautionary tale you should know not to be too vain. You should avoid being too, I don't know, cocky, too brave, too brash. And those are the base, base teaching for, for all young kids. So, you know, you start from there and, and then eventually you, learn, you start picking out real people and you're like, oh, so no, it's history. It's no longer fun. <laughs> Which is not true. But, you know, it becomes more of a studying lesson than, oh, a fun bedtime story. Yeah, for sure. But at the very least, I think it's cool that from a f- fundamental societal level that the myths are taught and it's kind of like something that you can look mm-hmm. back on, you know, like from my perspective, maybe Tom Tory too, about how like teachings from the Bible um, uh. present you with with moral lessons to carry out in real life, you know? That's and... true. That also, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Go it's ahead. also go ahead. like the religious aspect, like Greece is an Orthodox country. So that's very relevant as well. But I come from a family who is religious, but not in an overt way. So I wasn't brought up on the Bible. And my mom was like, oh, the mythology is your, your actual history. It's your oldest history. So you're going up in mythology. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I love it, actually. I much prefer reading about Dionysus being crazy than, you know. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Yeah. And and Tom, coming from England, what was your your background like, your introduction to SF, SFF? And um, if anyone, you know, nudged you into it and, and showed you the way? I, I nudged myself into it. Um, it it's funny, Eleni mentioned the Greek myth. I had a talking tape of Odysseus. I listened to that so much, I think I, I wore it out. But it, it was, I never really thought about it until now that it, it kind of was a, a building block of science fiction fantasy. And so I was probably five or six when I had that. But uh, the the book that really kicked it all off for me was one that was in our classroom uh, when I was about eight or nine. And it was this one. It was Dawn of the Dragons by Joe Deaver, which is one of those really awesome choose-your-own-adventure books. You know, uh, you can still see my terrible, terrible childish handwriting in it. There you are. I love those. 
Nice. I mean, I was so crap at these. But quite an impressive array of spells from young Tom there. But yeah, it was just a really cool book. Uh, the, the guy, Joe Diva, wrote an absolute ton of them. And I read that. And then right after that, uh, I, I found The Hobbit. And I thought, well, there's dragons in this book. The Hobbit obviously very prominently features a dragon. And, and that really, for me, was the slippery slope into growing a humongous beard and, and reading nothing but sci-fi and fantasy now. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I almost, I know we're going to talk about it in a bit, but I, I sort of stopped myself from reading these stories because no one else did. Um, I didn't have any friends who read this. Uh, my parents, they tend to read autobiographies or biographies. So I ended up getting into crime fiction for a long, long time uh, because that's what everyone else would read. So uh, it wasn't until I was really a teenager that I started to get back into things like Lord of the Rings. Um, Star Trek was a huge, huge part of my childhood as well, and I actually allowed myself to read some of that too. Uh, so yeah, it, it took me a while to get here to read nothing, pretty much nothing but science fiction, fantasy, but I'm so glad I still got these books I can go back to. Uh, oh yeah, the other one that, that really had a huge impact on me was this one, Red War. I mentioned it when we did the Food and Fantasy podcast, but Red War, the first one, has the best baddie ever, uh, Clooney the Scourge. When I first read this book, I was eight. I literally didn't read all of the good guy bits. I just read Clooney, uh, Clooney's chapters because I love the character so much. So Whoa. I'd recommend reading it that way because it's quite, it's a really good evil story until the end. We're like, oh, damn it. It's a bell <laughs> So yeah, that, that, that's basically my, my little intro into, into the genre. I'll definitely be touching on Redwall as well, but Tori, we'll start with you first. Okay, so um, I have kind of a uh, collection over here. (laughs) So I suppose my first real foray into SFF was this very, very beat-up copy of Aragon. Um. I carried this book with me to school and just everywhere I could. Um, It took me a very long time to read it because I would pick it up, read several chapters, and then put it down for months (laughs) and not touch it because I was so busy in high school that and, you know, middle school, the, apparently I was so busy, I mean, um, that uh, <laughs> I didn't have time to read. And then, so it kind of evolved from there into Twilight. And a very, again, beat up copy of Twilight, because when I was a kid, I did not take as, uh, I did not take proper care of my books like I do now. Um, but they're also very well read. I've I've read this several times, so I don't know what that says about me as a person. But um and then I got into sci-fi and my first foray into sci-fi was um Jurassic Park and 
the lost world because I am unhealthily obsessed with dinosaurs. Um, a good obsession like, to have. <laughs> and then it kept going with City of Bones. I read those too. <laughs> I I love this series with everything in me. Um, I have the box set of the first five, and then I got the sixth one, which is about this big. <laughs> and then the crux of the bunch, I have saved the best for last. This is literally the book that made me want to be a writer. This is the book that cemented the fact that it was what I was going to be, and there was no stopping me. Um, the Hunger Games. I know I talked about this book a lot um, in the YA panel, but this book is everything to me. Um, it showed me that, you know, I talked about this a little bit in the YA panel, but in, in Twilight, I really identified with Bella because she was clumsy and she drove a big red truck and my first vehicle was a 1993 F-150. Um, her name is Bertha and I still have her and I still love her. Um, shout out to Bertha. Shout out to Bertha. And then... <laughs> Long miss you, Ray. <laughs> Listen, she's still going. But the Hunger Games showed me that your a protagonist doesn't have to be perfect. You know, she doesn't have to be the prettiest. She doesn't have to be the funniest, the sweetest. Katniss is none of those things. Katniss is abrasive. Katniss is rude. Katniss doesn't care what anybody thinks of her. Um, so, yeah, this book is just, this book is everything to me. And it is very well worn. Um, <laughs> It had some water damage. Um, I took it to Haiti with me when I was when I was there for a mission trip, um, and my water bottle burst in my bag, and it got all over my book, and I was devastated, devastated. So, um, I came home, and my mom bought me a new copy of The Hunger Games, and I said, "Thank you." But no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so my beat up copy is the one that I will forever read. And it survived. That's the most important thing. It did survive. Um, the yeah. words are still there. The words aren't damaged. So. I mean, this is just this is my book. You know, this is. This is it. It's well it's loved. Beautiful. It, it looks like you've taken it into the Hunger Games with you, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> Life imitates art. It, it, it does, is, and it was. It's the. It's probably the best book I've ever read. It needs to be pierced by an arrow for it to truly qualify. Well, now I have a new years. goal. Um, I'll see you Shoot guys later. I'll be there. back. <laughs> <laughs> Crossbow or arrow? Oh man. Well, um, for me personally, I guess um, a lot of it started with. I mean, my mom's a huge reader. Um, but she's more, she's more into like romance fiction 
you know, the Nora Roberts and the, and the, uh, Diana Gabaldon type stuff. My mom too. Um, shout out to Oh, I didn't even answer mothers. that part of the question. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> we can, we can, we can get back into it afterwards. Yeah. Um, Sorry. And it was actually her, it was actually my grandmother. So my mom's mom who really encouraged me to read. So she's from the UK and she would always kind of like push books onto, onto me and my brothers. And I guess I was the one that really latched onto it as something that I enjoyed. Um, and I think the first series that really, that qualifies as SFF and really kind of like stuck with me is, uh, Captain Underpants. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this series. <laughs> I Classic. devoured those books when I was in kindergarten grade one. So it must've been like four or five. Um, cause it's like a lot of it is pictures. It's kind of a mix between comic and, and, uh, and novel. And I just love those books so much. My, I kept asking my mom, like, I want more, I want more. And she would go to the library and pick up the books and bring them home for me. And then after that, I kind of transitioned into a series like Redwall was one that my grandma actually uh, introduced me to. Because uh, she knew that I loved anim- that I love animals, so she's like, "Here, try this," because it just had mice and stuff on the cover, and uh, I loved that series so so much. I think I read probably ninety percent of them, and I, there's like twenty two novels in that series. Um, it's pretty intense. And then uh, Lemony Snicket's a series of unfortunate events as well. I would consider to be like, I don't know, like dark fantasy but also like satirical fantasy super super cool Mm -hmm. series and i devoured those as well yeah um and then i think the hobbit and a wrinkle in time i have a wrinkle in time here this is my old beat up copy from the 90s those were two books that uh, really solidified everything for me this is like for science fiction and for fantasy as kind of genres that i i really like and connect with just like the creativity of it and the absurdity that things are so different from the world that we live in but can be so relatable um and then after that i attempted i say attempted in in very big quotes to read the lord of the rings i have my copies here so these were given to me by my older brother so and i love the art on these copies these are so beautiful but as you can see it's like they're pretty pretty beat up some nice uh busted corners yeah um so that i think i was like 11 or 12 when i when i attempted to read the lord of the rings um and actually the one thing that kind of kept me going through it was like the musicality of it strangely enough all the the poetry and the singing because that was the kind of stuff where it's like i could read and and it was a little bit easier for me to follow because it rhymed um as opposed to the prose, which is pretty dense. Um, and I reread or attempted again to read the series when I was in high school and finished them all and loved it. Like, absolutely loved it. Um, but it wasn't until university that I think things really took off um, in terms of rekindling my love for science fiction and fantasy because I studied English literature for my bachelor's. And that kind of killed my buzz for books for a while because it's like you have to read the classics and i fucking hate the classics sometimes i I feel that it's like i do not care chaucer was like one of the few 
It's such an approach. Like, it depends on the professor you have. Like, I was afraid yeah. that that would happen to me because that's how I got into my degree. And then I was like, what if mm-hmm. I come out of it hating everything? Exactly. And then I had some, I had some brilliant professors, though, and I was fine. So Yeah, I mean, like, Chaucer <laughs> was one of, yeah, Chaucer was, like, one of the really, like, the much older works of fiction that I love. Like, Canterbury Tales is so funny. And so cheeky. Yeah, and that that was like cool. I love that. But so much of the other stuff that fits into that realm, I think other than like Beowulf, because Beowulf was just so it was challenging to read because it's in old English. Um but the just the like creative depth that's there and like the creatures and the fantastical elements really kept me in it. But a lot of my my love was was uh, drained away by studying English literature until I had a class in my final year about uh, post-apocalyptic landscapes. And that class, like you said, Eleni, it's like, if you have a good teacher, someone who's really passionate about it and can get you invigorated to to read something and, and enjoy it, but at the same time critique it, amazing. And we read, um, that was my first introduction to Philip K. Dick. Who's, who's now one of my favorite, my favorite authors. Uh, we read, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep. And at that mm-hmm. point I'd already watched blade runner, but didn't realize it was based on this book. So then I had the connection between the two and just fell in love with Philip K. Dick's work. Um, we watched the matrix. We watched apocalypse. Now we read the road, uh, which was really depressing, but super <laughs> well-written. <laughs> um, and I think it was just that that point that kind of like launched me into my uh, adulthood of really, really loving science fiction and fantasy and rekindling the magic that I had when I was when I was a kid. So I do have a confession to make uh, because <laughs> because it was such a huge influence on me as a kid. Uh, as an adult, I have not read The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. It's okay. It's totally I've seen the film. Or recently. Oh, yeah. I, I read them all Although, as a kid, and they were so, so influential that I kind of don't want to read them again, just in case I find oh, something I don't I like. I get that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, get in, we'll get into the rereading thing later on, because I'm really curious. Um, actually, Tom, we, I we can to We say... can touch on that. Go ahead, Eleni. I'm sorry. I just, everyone went through the whole process. I just stuck to when I was tiny. <laughs> So, like, reading, I mentioned that I went into spooky stuff, which is fair. It's true because, like, the way our library at school was is, like, it wasn't a very big room. I just had books from the youngest age to the oldest age there, which was, like, I don't know, uh, 12. So all of those books were a free-for-all, basically. You, You had to stick to your age group, but because I read a lot, I was advanced, so... I had a deal with my librarian and she was like, as long as you put it back, you can take out anything you want anytime. And I just went through the whole series of goosebumps. Just every day I would bring back a new one. I ate them like popcorn and they were falling (laughs) apart. These books because everyone had used them and they were really like the old goosebumps, like early goosebumps. So I would scotch them back together and bring them back repaired. I was like, can I have the next one, please? (laughs) And then I just, I, we had the book fairs at school as well because I had the luck to go to an international school. So 
we did things in English, so we had a book fair. And this was my first touch, like, Darren Sean, Cirque du Freak, spooky werewolf, and bloody gory things inside. I was like, ooh, this is mine. Mm. <laughs> so I just went through a whole, like, for a, a solid decade through just the spookiest stuff I could find. And then my teacher had Sabriel on the shelf. And it's just, it was love forever. I read them and he he only had the first two because he pinched them off his daughter. And I said, well, where's the third one? And he's like, I don't know there was a third one. You can use Amazon for that. And that's how I discovered Amazon 10 years ago. For the first time ever, <laughs> I bought my first ever book from there. It was Sabriel series. Right time. And that was fantasy proper. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like, I mean, you had your librarian, you had people that were um, kind of encouraging you in your in your reading journey. But did you feel like when you were younger that there was any personal shame or stigma around reading science fiction, fantasy, even horror in your case? Well, I wouldn't say stigma per se, but at the same time, none of my friends read as much as I did. So I never felt like mm-hmm. it was something that I would share with them. And for that reason reading always felt felt like something extremely private to me like it was my thing i would do i would read as much as i wanted and i would read whatever books i wanted but it was never something that i could share with anybody and in fact i i never even knew of a book community more outside of my mom who well she didn't read the same things as me as we said romance and everything she but she would always encourage me she would say okay i'm going to read now come sit and read your thing next to me so that was the closest to a sort of com- community companionship but then we had like um poetry cafe week at my school so the teachers would go around and exchange classes and they would bring the book that they liked to read to the kids and that was that's how i discovered Roald doll like the twits matilda matilda was my first like mirror into like a child who reads and likes you know books and stuff and that was that was a bit of a moment, but I I've had people from my family say, What are you reading? I'm reading fantasy. Again? Isn't that the same thing as always? And like, no, it's there's so much in this. Like, aren't you tired of reading fake things? No. <laughs> like it's it's fantasy, it's fiction, and it, it gives you empathy in one way. So Yeah. And that, that's I, I never something, that's actually something we'll we'll touch on. Yeah. Like the what what fantasy kind of like does for us you know but it, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, nice that you mm-hmm. um that your your mom was encouraging but it's also kind of shady that that family members were generalizing fantasy and thinking like oh it's the same yeah, thing over was, and over again just yeah mm. they, they didn't know any better it was a completely external point of view but at the same time i never felt like it was like it was a judgment that i could not care less about I'm like, well, it's my thing. It's private. You don't have to like it. So go go on your way. I'll go on mine. Shoot. Get out of here. Yes, it's your my thing. Mom. I don't care. And uh, Tom, did you, what, what's your thought on building on what Eleni said? Did you feel like you had people to, to share it with? Or was there any personal shame or more like group stigma I... towards science fiction and fantasy? I really didn't, uh, and I think the the fact Eleni had the the librarian like everyone needs a librarian like that who who can just say yeah take out whatever you want don't worry about it 
uh, when I was a really little kid, uh, I rented the giant jam sandwich from the local library so many times that the librarian said, just keep it. You're going to take it out again anyway. You can just have it. Aww. But that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> I still think back to that and think, you know, I, I love reading that book on my own. And I'm an only child, so reading for me has always been uh, quite a personal, individual thing. And I just happened to fall into fantasy. One of the books I, I really loved uh, was The Animorphs. Absolutely devoured that series and the prequels. It was so good. But no one I knew read them. I didn't have anyone to talk to them about. So I, it was just on my own with my, <laughs> with my uh, imagination. And oh, Tori's cat has just arrived. Cat. Speaking of animals, sorry. Uh, yeah, I I went through goosebumps as well. Uh, I really loved the whole read a beware, you're in for a scare uh, kind of feel to it. Um, the there, there was that stigma. Too. Yeah, it was. I had it on VHS. Amazing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, that takes me back, man. That's crazy. But yeah, it, it, it became maybe not a stigma, but it was definitely something I enjoyed on my own. That, like I say, no one around me read fantasy. And even now, uh, I, I don't know that many people who read the genre because it still feels a bit closed off sometimes. But uh, that, that's why we have this blog and uh, really just meeting everyone here and actually talking about these books all day every day is, is so alien to me in a way. Uh, that's why I get really excited about things like Phoenix Extravagant because people will listen because <laughs> they look look at this wonderful why, book that's about why you send it you send it to your aunt too <laughs> she bought it she read my review and, and bought it oh, she I, bought I, it I was, oh, I was so man. amazed that's even better um, I'm telling everyone to read Synopticon at the moment because it's amazing and yeah I'm not being paid I just get excited about these books yeah that should be our tagline. Oh, and, We're not uh, getting Tori, paid. We're just very you? excited. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's a bit. I've been a bit uh, implicit in terms of what we're doing. It's like people might assume that we get paid. It's like no, we don't. We just do this no. stuff because we love it. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. And Tori, for you, uh, did you did you kind of have any personal shame or stigma or was reading something that you shared with people or was it something that you that you had for yourself no um my mom was um probably my biggest influence um she always read to us you know my, my sister and I when we were when we were growing up and then um she was very big into like Lord of the Rings, the movies, and you know she she loved fantasy movies and loved you know fantasy video games. Um, I remember her playing through Castlevania on our Nintendo sixty four, um, and she always played Zelda. She loves Zelda like still to this day. Um, so yeah, she was she was probably my biggest biggest supporter, and I I get a lot of it from my dad, even though, you know, my dad's not really, he was never really in my life, which that's a whole other podcast, but, <laughs> um, 
you know, I was always told growing up that I'm a lot like my dad. So I think a lot of that comes from him. But my mom is primarily the the biggest supporter that I have when it comes to fantasy and things like that. And as far as like stigma goes, um, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I was never really open about my interests when I was a kid. Um, I very desperately wanted to fit in. Um, cause you know, I've, I've always been, you know, big. So when you're big and you get made fun of for it, you find ways to kind of adhere to what the status quo is. Um, and I never really let myself be who I wanted to be, I guess. So, you know, when I met, so when I got to college and I met, you know, a group of friends that, you know, were very like-minded, um, it pretty much changed how I thought of myself and how I thought of my interests. And then I met Justin and you've seen our library. <laughs> we exploded. Um, so coming into my, coming into my own has been a very long process for me. Um, you know, I, I was always the weird one in my family. Um, I never really fit in in high school and, you know, I was kind of a jerk in high school. Um, to people who I thought were weird or who would make me look weird because I was already trying so hard not to look weird. So I was probably pretty terrible to them if I'm being completely honest. And I really regret a lot of the things I did, but this is turning into like a therapy session. So I'm just going to stop there and say, yes, there was some stigma and, um, I fell into it and that's the end of that story. So thanks for coming. <laughs> we are, we are on a bit of a nostalgia trip. So I think it's okay if we if we delve into this kind of stuff and, and Tori, like you, you know, I'm also a bit ashamed because I, I don't necessarily think it came out of a feeling of shame, but I hit a lot of my science fiction and fantasy reading when I was younger. I think once I got out of, uh, elementary school, when it's kind of like, no one gives a shit, your kids, people read whatever they want. Um, you know, moving on from like captain underpants and Redwall and, and kind of getting into a little bit more uh, difficult stuff. It was very weirdly private thing for me. I shared it with my grandma because she was the kind of person that always encouraged me to read regardless of what it was. She's just like, her, her mantra was like, language is language, words are words. If you read, you're reading and, and that's good, you know, which is something I really appreciate. Um, but it was never something like I would bring my, my books and read them at school. It's like, no, I always kept them at home and I always read it at home. And in high school, especially I, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really share that stuff outwardly with people. Um, I think reading in particular, um, but video games and all that kind of stuff that I think, because I have a brother who's a year and a half older and we always shared that together. We would play, I think like one of my earlier memories of fantasy is actually, um, Oh crap! What's it called? Um, it's a point-and-click adventure. Uh, 
the Secret of Monkey Island uh, that was on PC. And then Dragon, I think it's called uh, Dungeon Quest or something like that. Crap, I totally forget. I should have looked this up. Anyways, it's like point-and-click fantasy adventure games for the PC that my older one of my older brothers was playing. Um, and I remember just like pulling up a chair and just sitting and watching him play that kind of stuff. And then my other brother, we would, since we were so close in age, we would play together. We played Zelda. We played um, and all the games on N64. And then eventually we just kind of like moved through different console generations. And my friends and I would always play this kind of stuff together. And there was strangely no stigma when it came to video games or movies. You know, I remember my my one of my older brothers took me to see each of the Lord of the Rings movies at the 11 o'clock screening on like a Thursday. And my mom's like, he has school tomorrow. These movies are three hours long. And my brother's like, I don't care. I'm going to take him anyways. (laughs) You know, and just like, yeah. And just didn't sleep afterwards because I came back from the movie theater just so elated and and stoked on everything that was uh, presented in, in Lord of the Rings. Um, so we, it was weirdly this thing where it was like books was something I kept private and then, um, video games and movies was something that was a little more, um, openly accepted, I guess. I don't know what it, what it was, or if it was just part of me that I was like, I didn't want to share my, my reading with other people. Um, and thus it never came up in conversation. So it's just kind of this like weird thing of. I found commonality in video games and, and movies with, with friends and felt like I could fit in there. But then for some reason, when it came to books, that was something that didn't really, um, I didn't really find the same level of commonality with people enough that I felt confident to say like, Hey, this is what I'm reading, blah, 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 blah. And, and I just kind of wanted to like avoid judgment, I guess. Cause books is like, Movies and, and video games is one thing, but books is like, at my perspective at that time, it felt like another level of, <clears throat> excuse me, another level of, I guess, like, geek, you know? It was like, I, I think it's the, the medium. Are a little bit more accepted. And then, and then reading yeah. feels, felt, at that time, felt like, oh, you're even more of a nerd if you're super into reading, you know? So yeah. I think it's a bit also what Tom said, like, the kind of medium, because... Uh, video games and movies and stuff it's more of a communal thing like more people will go to the cinema like or even when you play there's a lot of people around you and you're all essentially doing the same thing you're all watching the same thing and you're all doing the same action for the game someone's better someone's worse but you're all more or less having the same action and then with reading the way i picture treebeard with the way you picture treebeard is completely different so it's also that it's yeah. the subjectivity of reading that makes it more insular. Yeah, and the physical act of there's only one book, and you're yeah. the only pe- person that can read that. It's not like you're, oh, you know, we're all going to sit in a room together, and each of us have our copy, and we're going to read it exactly. at the same time. You don't get 300 people all sitting around one copy of Lord of the Rings and reading it at the same time. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And reading is a lot more intimate anyway. I mean, you make quite a conscious decision to pick up a book and divert you know, some hours of your time to read through it. Whereas a movie is two hours, two and a half hours max, or a, a video game you might play for half an hour, you put it away, you go on to something else. So I, I think that could also be where the stigma comes in, is you're making yourself quite vulnerable to 
give your time and attention to that book and you're putting yourself in that world and and with a genre like fantasy and sci-fi it's so different from where we are in our day-to-day that that can be quite a vulnerable place true for me yeah, and Mm. Yeah, well, on this note of like vulnerability and intimacy, I mean, you know, Eleni, you touched on it earlier, um, and Tori as well, sort of like what science fiction and fantasy um, provided you in terms of like emotional or personal development, empathy, things like this. Um, Eleni, do you want to do you want to touch on that a bit more? Like what reading SFF gave you in that sense? Yeah, sure. Um, it's something that I, I say jokingly to other people anytime, but like, I will not read something, uh, a real life story or a nonfiction, something, whatever, that has real life people in it, because I have enough sadness of on my own. So I don't need extra added one from the real world. I, I'll take the, the fantasy land. But at the same time, like I said, it, it was a safe space for me in high school, for example, because like I created this, I don't want to say persona because it wasn't different from who I was, but I I gave this image of myself that I'm the one who at recess or break reads and I am in my little cocoon and world. And my classmates were like, okay, she, she reads, she's no fun to pick on. So I would hear the others go and make a mess or for each other or even hurt each other you know play fighting and whatever and i was in my little corner safe because i was reading and also like the simple distraction aspect of it like you go through big changes in life and you don't you you need some time off from real life so when i moved out for college or university i changed country was the first time that i completely moved away on my own and I had no friends. I am a shy person in general. So it's not like my first day in uni, I met everyone and I started hanging out with everyone suddenly. It's not who I am. I don't really go out much. So I had the books and they were my only company while I was home alone before I made some friends. So I'm fine with that. Like I didn't feel too lonely or because I had this fantasy land that I could go into. And I mean, I mostly read fantasy and. I'm getting more into sci-fi these last few years because I'm learning more about it, but mainly fantasy, like the, I think it's Ryria in English. I've always said Ryria because it's more like Italian, but Michael J. Sullivan. That sounds nicer. <laughs> yeah, it's more Italian. But um, I I remember it was the, fa- the first fan email I ever wrote. I, I was like, I need to tell this author that his books made me feel safe, made me feel not lonely while I changed countries. So it's always been a safe haven for me. Yeah. And Tori, you mentioned earlier that you, um, starting with Twilight and especially with Hunger Games, uh, you had this feeling of like connecting with the characters and um, feeling like reading them on the page really helped you, I guess, to understand yourself a little bit better. do you want to do you want to dig into that a little bit more like how reading science fiction and fantasy has aided you in like personal and emotional growth? Um uh I just want to say that I may need to duck out after this cuz um my family's coming over for my graduation so I kind of got to but um 
to answer your question, I'll say that it's very hard to answer your question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, with, with books like Twilight, I don't, I don't want to turn this into another exploring my own psyche rant like I did a few minutes ago, but I was very, very much under the impression that I was going to live the rest of my life alone. Um, and I was, I was a kid, so obviously, you know, I didn't know any better, but I thought that I was unlovable. And, um, I, so I read, you know, I read books with romance interests and I, I read books with romantic plot lines and, you know, Twilight and the Hunger Games, they had those for me, you know, the, they had obviously Bella and Edward and then Katniss and Peeta and then, um, and then I found that it was more than that. I found that it wasn't just the the love aspect that I really enjoyed. Um, it was these characters that were taking control of their lives. You know, Katniss is in a remote, remotely controlled arena and people are watching her every move. And, you know, Bella is constantly put into situations where she's weak and she's she's very much human surrounded by non-humans and um they're they're both put in these situations where you know they don't have any control and then over the course of the series they they take that control back and it's just really really empowering to watch and to read and to you know just be viscerally a part of cuz when I read, I, I don't just read, you know, I, I'm, I'm in there and I'm, I'm right next to the characters. Yeah. Um, I read deeply, I guess is what you, is what you could call it. Um, you empathize. Yeah, I guess. And then I guess that's a good, yeah, I guess that's a good word. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, my train of thought is gone. <laughs> <laughs> You're with there with the, the characters. Yes. They're good role you. models. Exactly. Exactly. And for someone who always felt like an outcast and, you know, like someone who always felt like nothing they did would ever warrant any kind of affection, be it platonic or romantic, um, they were just, they were just a really, really good way for me to become somebody that I always wanted to be. Yeah. I think fantasy and science fiction provides a good, um, imaginative outlet for us to place ourselves in other shoes and understand what it could be like if we were to, um, be somewhat different, you know, and, and just perceive like what we might potentially want to become in the future, you know, or at least change some aspects of ourselves slowly but surely but in a way that makes us feel like i'm becoming a better person or i'm becoming more of who i want to be you know and that's something that science fiction and fantasy always always gave me and tom i'll I'll pitch the the same question to you um about you know what kind of 
uh, growth, uh, emotional, um, personal, what have you, fantasy and science fiction gave you? The the book that's springing to mind, and this will sound really silly, but uh, uh, some of the most incredible fantasy, sci-fi, horror books are ones that actually understand who you are as a reader. Uh, and one, <laughs> but one huge book for me was My Hairiest Adventure, uh, the Goosebumps one, because that it touches in on that 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 sort of tween teenage fear of oh my god my body is changing what the hell is happening yeah, yeah. um i was a hairy kid uh <laughs> it will not surprise you to hear so you know i i was so much hairier than all my classmates and there's this story about a guy who's grown hair on the backs of his hands and thankfully i wasn't turning into a dog like he was but <laughs> it, it still helped me process what was happening to me like this is body horror. This is interesting to read through, but you know, I am going through things. I'm growing up, and and it's scary. It was a good way Harry to channel. Horror. Yeah, <laughs> it hit too close to the bone, but it's good to channel that. And and again, going back to what Ellen said, when you have these safe places, I love those books that that take you to that, that fantasy world. Um, uh, Narnia is, is the classic one because it starts mm. off in such a normal way and then they go through a cupboard and they're in this brand new fantasy world and and it's escapism for these kids who are hauled up in a place they're not familiar with where you know we've all been in situations where we, we don't really know where we're going or what's going on so when we can read about these characters who are put in situations where they're not comfortable or they're going through hardship and it, it it's such a powerful thing to, to read especially when you're, you're a kid yeah i can't believe i forgot but, narnia when, earlier it's like i that was such I, a pivotal series i for had me too. <laughs> i had a big wardrobe like the one in narnia because i i lived in a house that had antique uh furniture from the previous owner <clears throat> I saw that movie. I just ran to that wardrobe because I was like, "Oh, this is my chance." But yeah, it it helps you grow, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. it's you try to be like these characters, like especially with the stories of change, like Narnia, like uh, ooh, I'm thinking of even the Sabriel series, or uh, I could say Cirque du Freak, but I haven't read all of them entirely. But, you know, other series that I've read that when you're not good with change and you have a hard time processing change, these books are, are a Hail Mary almost because they really help you understand that change isn't bad. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, necessary context. Yeah. yeah, for me as well, the reason I fell into the Lone Wolf series, these lit RPGs so much, is um, my my parents divorced when I was in my early teens. And just like that, your entire life changes completely. Um, and I was in secondary school, so that's a pretty stressful time anyway. So to have that control of a story, like, I'm the hero. I can do whatever I want. I can choose what spells I have. I can choose what weapons I come along and bring with me. And I can choose my own adventure. Uh, same with choosing a book. It doesn't have to be a, a lit RPG. You can, you can find a new series that, that you just lose yourself in. Um, 
it's really powerful to to read these books and to if you want to just escape your normal life for a bit uh, sometimes you need to do that yeah completely and um just to to wind down and, and close out i want to know uh eleni we'll start with you if um you think that now that geek culture uh science fiction and fantasy are much more mainstream if you think that gives the this younger generation a leg up on us and then on top of that if you feel optimistic about the the future of science fiction and fantasy especially in the hands of of young kids oh i'm an optimist at heart so <laughs> i can say that um i think it's going well because as you said like i do think that young people have a leg up on us now because i i'm the youngest of this group so I am at that borderline where I could touch and see how it used to be before and how it's changing into now. And it's not this, being a geek is not the same, doesn't mean the same thing as it meant once. And the internet has been incredible for this because now you can have a wider space to share your passion. You have, uh, you have the freedom to do so and the encouragement to do so in a way that you didn't have before. Like, let's not consider toxic fandoms and all that stuff because that's just, that's a whole other list of crap that you cannot get into, but staying in the wholesome side of it, you can say that young people have forums where they can see that it's fine to read and enjoy and have fun and just, well, you know, they say young people are lazy because they sit and read all day, but they said the same thing decades ago. Oh, young people are always at their cave. Young pe There's always something wrong with young people. So you might as well do something that makes you happy. and. Books now are far more accessible. They you go inside, you go in, you go in a bookstore, and there's the fantasy. Well, not fantasy, but the fiction section is ginormous now. You can find anything. There's so many subgenres. There's so many. I think it's I think it's good. Like the, there is there's a much bigger openness for people, and even the the whole discourse with TikTok being a good thing or a bad thing, book talk and whatnot. It's for me, it's wonderful because young people get to mix mediums and see that you can have so much more and you can connect so much more, even with something so private as with reading. Like I discovered book Twitter last year, like little little over a year ago, and a whole world opened for me. And that was because I, as a person, was not very social media-y. <laughs> like I never kept into media because... I never bothered, I read. But discovering that I could bring my love into the world of social media was, it opened a floodgate. And I think it's great for young people now because they see so much. And fantasy is changing as well. It's more inclusive. It's, I'm not saying it's perfect yet, but it's, it's, on, a, it's on a good way, I think. It's yeah, I completely working agree. towards changing the classics and turning them, like keeping good tropes, moving on from dicier ones and opening up and more voices more more cultures and i'm up, i'm really optimistic about this it's it looks good to me yeah i feel similar to you and um just touching on 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 tiktok it's like on one hand yeah social media could be bad for kids in some way but i think it's also really um really interesting and and amazing that that kids can see their favorite authors communicating yeah, exactly. with them in some kind of way and the fact that these kids could be able to find um 
a sense of community, mm-hmm. um, they can seek out their community. And if it turns out to be toxic, they can just step away and find another, exactly. another community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. I think that for me, I'm really optimistic about that is like, I didn't really have too many avenues of finding good community. Um, really like outside of select friends who I could talk about this kind of stuff with and share it with until I became a part of FanFi Addict and started doing this podcast and started blogging and reviewing books. Like it's not easy to find um, a healthy, a healthy community of people to talk with about your passions. But I think kids now have the tech savvy and the ability to find exactly. more avenues for communicating and, and talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And we still yeah, have this sort of thing of- didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. sort of medium didn't exist. There was no TikTok. There was no Instagram, social media at all. And one of the game changes for fantasy literature, in my mind, is, is the Harry Potter series. And you know, we, we talked about books we read as kids. We haven't mentioned Harry Potter yet, which I feel that maybe we have to. Um, but I, I can't remember um, any series of books that had the same impact as that. And I was the generation where they came out as we were in the same school year as Harry mm. and Hermione and Ron. So I feel like there is that whole generation of us who read these books as children. And that just sparked something. Um, whether J.K. Rowling meant to or not, she, she sort of changed the game in terms of how people appreciate stories. And it feels she almost created fandom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember anything like the sort of or anything like that that you get now and um, but i feel there's that whole generation now who is starting to have children who you've got over that stigma and we've now all geeked out together about all of these books because we found fanfi addict we found twitter book twitter and now we can say well look we've mucked around and we've worried about reading fantasy books so you don't have to this is my favorite book i read it's red war yeah. off you go and um, I've got a copy of The Hobbit that's waiting for when my daughter is old enough to read it. Uh, she's three months, uh, so she's not going to read it yet. But <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I'm thinking I'll write a letter. Yeah. Start them young. <laughs> <laughs> so my idea was I just write a letter to her now and say, you're, you're three months old and uh, this, this is how everything is now. But this book was really important for me, so I hope it's going to spark something for you. Or you just might like Mills and Boone and crap like that. I don't know. But also the Percy Jackson like wave in a way because like with Rowling sort of I don't want to say she started a domino but at the same time she kind of did. But then in came Percy Jackson in came all of you know Suzanne Collins and the Divergent series and um, Christopher Paolini with Aragon too. Paulini with Aragon as well. Yeah, like there was a whole bunch of, well, YA to adultish sort of books that they grew up with their audiences. Like they started middle grade and then they matured as their audiences matured eventually. And I think that also helped to, like, it was, you, you went hand in hand with these series and you grew up. And like you said, like fandom wasn't a thing until years, a few years ago, affect, like, Widely speaking, it's a few years that fandom really boomed. And yeah, it's, it's much better now. Yeah, but like you said as well, Eleni, that 
now there's more diversity and there's more um there's more opportunity beyond like the the fandom bubble that was created back in the 2000s now there's a potential for um authors from different races and ethnicities and backgrounds to create fiction for for kids moving into teens moving into adulthood to give them somebody who they can connect with and and feel like I'm represented or I feel like I can put myself in the shoes of this character and I still feel like myself as opposed to like someone from an African background reading Harry Potter and thinking okay I gotta put myself in the shoes of this like these white people <laughs> you know yeah exactly so. it's it was a discourse with dark academia which it's a whole other thing i would not i will not get lost into this now but like <laughs> it's it's a whole deal of there was this idea that reading had to be a high class hobby and you had to read big classics and you had to read certain books and you had to read the lord of the rings and you had if you wanted to read fantasy you had to read the lord of the rings you had to read narnia you had to read certain books like when I was younger and I was entering into fantasy, I was thinking about this. I was like, okay, what do I need to read? And the bookstores at the time had those fixed four books, you know, the four series. If you want to be a nerd on this, you have to like and know these, like with comics. But now there's no, we've shrugged this off. We're like, you want to read, read, read this. And hey, there's so many new voices, read them. Yeah, like the barrier to entry is completely lowered at this point it's not like you have to read fantasy by a crotchety old white man in order to feel like you are a fan of fantasy it's like no there are so many different niches that cater to so many different people from backgrounds all across the world yeah cool well um i think we'll we'll close out there and um if you could tell people tell viewers listeners where they can find you on social media read your reviews but also uh just give a quick recommendation for your uh quintessential fantasy or sci-fi book or series for kids oh no so we'll start it's with uh, we'll start with you eleni <laughs> ladies first now well um i feel like i'm always <laughs> talking this panel no um so what was the question no uh <laughs> basically well let's go with last first so the quintessential fantasy for me well <laughs> depends what subgenre so you know I keep saying this, wherever you see me, I will talk about Sabriel Garthnick's The Old Kingdom series. It's just, it's so good for so many reasons. And Sabriel is my top comfort book. Like, I can show you. Whoops. My oldest copy, it even has sun damage. I don't know if you can really see it. But like, you can tell, like, it used to be on my windowsill because, so this is my oldest copy. And it introduces you to a heroine who has to get into a new world it, it's there's magic there's necromancy there's and it's all it's YA so it's I don't want to say easy because that makes it feel like it's less than it is but it's more accessible so to me it's it's a very good intro into fantasy that's not it has classical tropes but it's not old old and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram Instagram I'm not that much active book wise although most of my pictures are of my bookshelves. <laughs> so uh, there I'm at, at the words we read, and each word is separated by an underscore. And on Twitter, which is where I am mostly active for the book community, it's Eleni underscore Arhiro. I blog with Fanfi and also with Before We Go blog 
from Beth Tabler. She was the she was the first person to introduce me into blogging. Like, I would like to write for you. Can I write here? And she was like, Yes, please. So that was that was great. And that's where I am mostly at Twitter. Cool. And also, there's lots of photos of Eleni's dog on Twitter as yes. well. So Ex- that is also true. It's the face of my <laughs> the face of my social media is Figaro, the old gent. So come for the dog, stay for some book recommendations. <laughs> and Tom, uh, quintessential SFF book, and then uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, quintessential book. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Lone Wolf series because it was such an amazing, uh, amazing uh, adventure. And there's so many of them. You can get them really cheap on eBay. They're like a couple of quid each. Uh, just real scenery-chewing fantasy D&D sort of writing and uh it, it's why I, I i love stories to this day because i've got to be the hero uh, each time and if for some reason you would like to follow me on the socials uh, i am on twitter and uh, my name is tom bookbeard but i'm at tom for t t-o-m-f-o-r-e-e-a and i also post on jeff's beard board and that's uh, where you can find all the pictures of the beard cool thank you tom and that's a uh... Fish Finger Rosty on Jeff's beard board, right? I am Fish Finger Rosty on uh, Jeff's beard board because Fish Finger Rosty is a sandwich I once made and I couldn't think of a username. It's a fantastic Works. username. Yeah. Fish Fingers. Tori had to step out early, but uh, she is on Instagram and Twitter at Tori Yo Reads. That's T O R I Y O Reads. Um, and then for me, just a quick personal recommendation, uh, a wrinkle in time for sure, uh, from my perspective is both, um, it's both approachable enough in terms of its, its pros and its story and its themes, uh, for someone who's kind of like transitioning from, um, being a child into more of like a, a preteen kind of thing. and it's really good in terms of its themes of maturing as a person um owning up to your mistakes and learning how to be a leader or at least be proud of who you are and i think that was a very pivotal book for me and yeah i i can't think of a a better one to to recommend because the lord of the rings is like yeah it's awesome but it's fucking difficult dense. it's hefty it's, so it's very dense yeah so I think a wrinkle in time is definitely something that that people could read and and find meaning in and hopefully um take some take some good lessons from that. So uh Eleni, Tom, thank you so much for for joining me today. Uh, I had thank a blast chatting us. with you. Thanks for hosting. Uh, it's great fun. Yeah. Hope to and see you again. Tom, yeah. Hope you, want, Tom, hope you want to have us again. Of course, of course. Tom, your 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 beard is welcome back, but you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Just pleases the beard. we have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our panel on the SFF we read as kids. Thank you again to our FanFiatic panelists this episode, Tori, Tom, and Eleni. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on your platform of choice, and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. 
You can also follow SFF Addicts on Twitter or Instagram at SFF Addicts Pod for updates and more. And you can follow me, Adrian M. Gibson, on Twitter or Instagram at Adrian M. Gibson. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiAddict.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. And for all your literature needs, head over to thebrokenbinding.co.uk. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts. <laughs>